Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100. For a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. What's going on, guys? Greg Ehrenberg here from Stochastic. We're about to be breaking down Saturday's MMA card headline by Ilya Tapore taking on Josh Emmett. So as you guys come in, do me a favor. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and shout out to DraftKings Rainmakers, the sponsor of our show today. So as we go, I'm going to be giving you guys some advice on how I'm building my lineups for DraftKings purposes. I'm going to be talking about some bets that I like for the card. But in addition to that, I'm also going to be building on my Rainmakers at the end and also highlighting some of the Rainmakers fighters that I'm going to be targeting for this week's card. Now, if you guys haven't checked out Rainmakers yet, you could use the link below to get a totally free starters pack. For the PGA product, you get to pick a stud golfer, and you're also going to get a handful of other golfers to help build you out a lineup, and it's totally free. So why not take advantage of something that is free? Let's start to break down this week's slate, get the stats up on the screen, and also quick recap of last week. A couple of things that were pretty tilting for me. Number one, I had the nuts going into the main event. If Marvin Vittori wins that fight, I end up coming in first in the $15 on DraftKings. We had a nice payday. It looked good in the first round. We had Vittori was about a minus 250 favorite after stinging Cannoneer and hurting him in the first round. And then Cannoneer just absolutely put it on Vittori. So I was on the wrong side of the main event. And ultimately, that was the difference between me having a subpar slate or ending up winning everything. So that was something that was a little annoying. Also, I had a bet on the Bondar fight to finish inside the distance, which looked dead towards the end of the fight. And then all of a sudden, we saw... A slam, let me pull up the stats from last week. I'm fairly sure there was one second left in the fight at the time. Yeah, Carlos Hernandez and Dennis Bondart. Yeah, so fight called four minutes and 59 seconds into the third round. I had a bet on that fight to finish inside the distance. And we saw Carlos Hernandez finish Bondart with a second left in the fight. I was biased, so I thought it was a ridiculous decision to make it go to the judges' scorecards and that there was no finish in the fight. That aside, a couple of tilting things from last week. It was almost a great slate for me, but ended up just being okay. But looking forward to this card, and we'll start by talking about the main event, Josh Emmett against Ilya Teporia. And listen, I really think that the UFC set this fight up to try to get Teporia a win to elevate him in the featherweight division because 
they're running out of fresh opponents for Alexander Volkanovsky, especially if he ends up winning uh, over over the summer when he is going to be taking on Ayair Rodriguez. Because if he beats Rodriguez, the other issue you have is Max Holloway has wiped out all the other top contenders in the division. Arnold Allen, not an option. So I think that if Taporia wins, they might push him into a title shot against Volk should Volk end up beating Ayair Rodriguez. So I think they gave him the most winnable matchup possible that would also give Taporia the biggest shine. Now, with that said, this isn't a walkover in Josh Emmett because Josh Emmett has absolutely nuclear power. One clean shot from Josh Emmett. We have seen Taporia hurt before. Could mean the end of the fight. Now, all that aside, I have to favor Taporia in this fight. He is way younger than Josh Emmett. He is also Josh Emmett, 38 years old. He's had a number of super difficult weight cuts at the featherweight division. I think there's a chance this is his last fight in this division. If he loses, I think Josh Emmett either moves up to lightweight from featherweight or he retires. Because you see how sucked out he looks after some of these weight cuts when he's doing interviews and whatnot afterwards, or just when you see him get on the scale. So the age difference is going to play a, a big difference. And then also, Tapori just has a more well-rounded game. Taporia, there's more output. He's a much better grappler. Josh Emmett has a wrestling background, but we never see him use it in the UFC. For reference, Josh Emmett lands 1.07 takedowns per 15 minutes and only is a 58% takedown defense. If Taporia gets his wrestling going, which I hope he does, because that's the path to least resistance, with only a 58% takedown defense from Josh Emmett, I do think Taporia could get this fight to the ground. I think it'd wear on Josh Emmett, who I think we should be concerned about his gas tank at this part in his career just the difficulty of the weight cut for him, his age. If Taporia wrestles, I think he wins this fight fairly easily. If this fight plays out on the feet, I would still pick Taporia to win, but I don't think he covers his price tag if the fight just plays out on the feet because there's going to be no wrestling and grappling from a fantasy perspective. And then also, you run the risk of him getting hurt on the feet from Josh Emmett. So I think Taporia comes out with a wrestling grappling game plan. I think he should be able to finish Josh Emmett most likely either by ground and pound or by submission. That is how I'm leaning towards this fight. I think second or third round finish for Taporia. I think it comes on the mat. And yeah, I hope that's the way that he ends up approaching this fight because you don't want to play on the feet with Josh Emmett and all the power that he has. So Emmett is live in this fight, but he only has a puncher's chance. So I don't think he's all that likely to win. Taporia, we currently have projected to be the most popular fighter on the card. We haven't projected for north of 40% ownership, but... I don't really have an issue with that, especially because I think there's going to be a lot of live underdogs in this card that end up winning. I think a lot of underdogs that should score fairly well. And I'm about to start talking about some of the fights that I want to target. There aren't that many confident picks I could have on this card just because of how many underdogs I think are live to end up winning. And we'll start by talking about the opening fight of the entire card. Cedricus Dumas against Cody Brundage. Brundage is a really big favorite in this fight. But it's kind of funny because Dumas made his UFC debut and he was a massive favorite in his debut fight. And that was coming against Josh Fremd. And I think that Fremd is a better fighter than Cody Brundage. And Dumas was like a minus 200 favorite against Fremd. And now Brundage is like a minus 200 favorite against Dumas. And like I said, I think Fremd is better than Cody Brundage. So I'm, I pick Brundage to win the fight just because if he does implement his wrestling, I think he should be able to get Dumas out of there pretty easily. But there are a lot of fights for Cody Brundage, as my computer decides it just wants to scroll down when I'm trying to scroll up. There are a lot of fights where Brundage should try to wrestle more aggressively, and he just doesn't. So like the fight against uh, Mikhail Olasheshuk, I know that Brundage landed three takedowns in that first round, 
But he should have just stuck on Ola Shayshok and never let that fight get to distance if it was of his choice because Ola Shayshok, as soon as it got the distance, was able to knock out Cody Brunnage and put him away. So there are times that Brunnage doesn't wrestle as much as I would like to see him do. Even the fight against Treshawn Gore, I know that he got the first round knockout, but Treshawn Gore has a lot of power in his hands. I would have much preferred to see Brundage come with a more heavy wrestling game plan than choose to stand and trade with Treshawn Gore because if you see him do something like that in a fight against Dumas, Dumas is live to win. If we see Brundage go out and wrestle, then I don't really think Dumas is all that live to win. So even though I pick Brundage to win, here is why I really like Dumas from a DFS perspective. Our current ownership projections. We have Dumas projected to be the third lowest owned fighter on the card. The only fighters we have projected for less ownership than Dumas right now are Josh Emmett and Austin Lane. With that being in mind, I like Dumas just for the fact that you're getting somebody with clear upside that the field is not on and for a really cheap price point that's going to allow us to pay up for some studs. So it makes sense to play both sides. There are a lot of fights that I think I make sense just to target both sides heavily with early finish potential. But this is one where... I want to play both sides, but it's really easy to get overweight to Dumas when he's only projected for a little bit more than 10% ownership. If we look through some of the other fights as well that I think have a lot of finishing equity, Trevor Peak against Chepe Mariscal. So Mariscal, I think, is the better fighter of these two, but he's only taking this fight on about a week's notice. He's coming up a weight class, and he's not a massively big featherweight as is. So he's going to be undersized here. You see a little bit of a reach disadvantage, two inches shorter than Trevor Peak. Also, you know, you always wonder about the cardio and how prepared somebody is when they're taking a fight on one week's notice when Trevor Peak has been preparing for this for a long time. All things being equal, if these guys had equal training camps and Mariscal was able to get up to this weight when he typically fights at featherweight and now he's going to be fighting at lightweight, I would be picking Mariscal fairly confidently in this fight, but given the fact that uh, there are those other factors that I just mentioned, I do think it's reasonable to expect this fight to be close to a coin flip. Now, with that said, the field is way higher on Trevor Peak. We've got Trevor Peak projected to be the second most popular fighter on the slate, only behind Ilya Teporia, whereas we have a modest around 20% ownership projected for Mariscal for this matchup. So if this is a fight where I think Mariscal is the better fighter, but I do question a little bit, like I said, his preparedness for the fight, but... Peak is going to be that much more popular. I'm going to lean towards the Mariscal side in large field GPPs. And the way that Trevor Peak fights, it is really difficult to not target his fights. Like they can only end in violence. Look at the fights that we've seen so far out of Trevor Peak. He takes on Eric Gonzalez in his last fight. Gonzalez lands four takedowns in that first round, but Trevor Peak, two knockdowns, 51 significant strikes, gets him out of there in the first round. On the contender series, he fights against Malik Lewis. Malik Lewis kicks Trevor Peak's ass in the first round. He's able to take him down. He's able to hold top control. He is able to hurt and nearly finish Trevor Peak, but still, Peak comes back, ends up winning the fight by a second round finish. So he ends up landing 54 significant strikes and a takedown of his own. So you look at the kind of output that we're seeing from him, right? A total of about seven and a half minutes that he's fought in between the contender series and then also in his UFC debut. He's landing 8.33 significant strikes per minute, absorbing 5.71. He's looking to wrestle a little bit. 1.19 takedowns landed per 15 fights. This is crazy high output for Trevor Peak. Whoever wins this fight, especially because of where it's priced in the mid-range, I expect to score extremely well for DraftKings purposes. Due to ownership, I'm going to lean with the Mariscal side for large field tournaments. But 
still, I think it makes sense to play both sides. I'm just going to be inverse of the field and be higher on Mariscal, whereas the field is going to be higher on Trevor Peak. If we look through some of the other fights that I think make sense to target, David Onama against Gabriel Santos. Really clear path to victory for Santos because he is a decent wrestler and grappler. Also, pretty impressive striking, too. He saw in his UFC debut against Leron Murphy. But David Onama has a couple of big gaps in his game. Number one, 45% takedown defense. Number two, we've seen him gas after like a round, a round and a half in previous fights. The one that stands out the most is his last fight against Nate Landwehr, where Onama closed to something like a minus 280 favorite in that fight. And what ended up happening is he absolutely beat the shit out of Nate Landwehr in the first round. If we look at the per round stats here, yeah. David Onama lands 46 significant strikes, knocks down Nate Landwehr, nearly finishes him, and then he's just done. He has no cardio left. So round two, Nate Landwehr, 43 significant strikes to eight. He lands three takedowns. Then the final round, Nate Landwehr outlands Onama 27 to 17. Both of them were fairly gassed at that point in time. So it was a fight that I thought was a pretty reasonable draw. Ended up being a uh, majority win for Nate Landwehr. But I thought round one should have been a 10-8 for David Onama. And then I thought Nate Landwehr won one rounds two and three. So I would have scored it a draw. But neither here nor there. The thing that stands out about Onama is if you get him out of the first round, I'm just not confident that he could fight into some of the later rounds. And Gabriel Santos, because of his ability to land takedowns, landed five takedowns in his fight against Leroy Murphy. against LeRon Murphy. I think he can just gas out Onama by implementing the wrestling. Now Onama is still live to win via a first round finish. So I think, once again, both sides make sense here. I think this is a strong fight to target. I lean towards the Santos side because I think there's there's less variance when somebody has the wrestling upside. And I do think he's going to come up with a sharp game plan just because of what we saw in his matchup against Murphy. Now, if we go through some of the other fights in terms of ones that I'm actually going to pick to win, and I'm going to give you guys a bet here as well. On Tabitha Ricci, I bet her minus 120 to beat Jillian Robertson. I think the best line available now, let me look. It was minus 130 earlier in the day, and it is currently at best available line for Tabitha Ricci is minus 125 on BetMGM. Very playable line on Tabitha Ricci, who I think has a lot of advantages in this fight, especially because Jillian Robertson is non-existent takedown defense. I know that Jillian Robertson is a very excellent submission grappler, but... Ricci's a black belt, and I don't know that she's going to be submitted easily if she's holding top position, which I think she's going to be able to in this fight. I also think she has big striking advantages. So if she chooses to stand and trade and doesn't look to wrestle, I don't think Robertson is going to be able to take down Ricci, and I would expect Ricci to win the striking exchanges. But if this fight does hit the ground, Ricci lands 4.64 takedowns per 15 minutes. Jillian Robertson only has 25% takedown defense. A lot of that is because Robertson typically wants her fights on the ground because that's where she ends up winning her fights usually is by submission. So she wants the fight to be on the mat. She doesn't want it to be standing. But I don't know that she could submit Tabitha Ricci if Ricci's holding top position. So I think that this line should be probably closer to like a minus 180 to minus 200 favorite for Ricci. Her DraftKings upside, not quite as high as a lot of the other fighters in the mid-range, but I don't think she's the worst play as like a last man in type of option. And I do like her betting on the money line. Like I said, better minus 120 earlier in the week. Best available line right now is minus 125. Very playable. So I like a bet on Tabitha Ricci for this weekend. We go through some other fights as well where I have a confident lean on. I think Nail Magny is getting slept on a little bit for this week. 
So we currently have Magni projected for right around 20% ownership, 21% to be exact is our current ownership projection on Neil Magni. And I think he's better than Phil Rowe everywhere in this matchup. And I know that people are kind of low on Neil Magni because of some of his recent performances, but I think we have to give him a break because of the competition. All right, he loses to Shavkat Rachmanov. No shame in that. He beats the crap out of Daniel Rodriguez, controls him on the ground, ends up submitting him, and then he gets quickly subbed by Gilbert Burns. Like, how much of a demerit are we giving uh, Are we giving Neil Magny for losing to Shavkat Rachmanov and Gilbert Burns? Phil Rowe would get his ass kicked by these guys too. And then you look at Phil Rowe's level of competition. Like, yeah, Phil Rowe beat Nico Price. Phil Rowe beat Jason Witt. Phil Rowe beat Orion Kosey. Guess what? Neil Magny's absolutely sweeping the floor with these guys as well. And there is a really big gap in the takedown defense for Phil Rowe. He only defends takedowns at a 52% clip. If this fight takes place at defeat, yeah, I think it would be relatively competitive, although I would still favor Magny to win. But if this fight is going to be one where Neil Magny implements his wrestling, lands 2.4 takedowns per 15 minutes, and then Phil Rowe only defends him at 52%, I would favor Magny to win very handily and score pretty well from a DraftKings perspective. I think he'd be live to finish. Phil Rowe, if this fight goes to the ground, I think he's a better grappler than Rowe. So I, I think this is a spot where Neil Magny getting slept on by the field at 21% ownership. I think there's upside for, for Neil Magny. I also think he's relatively safe. So he's somebody who I like as an under-owned pay-up option for this slate. Looking through some of the other fights, Justin Taffa versus Austin Lane. I think Taffa, very viable pay-up option for this slate. Unless Austin Lane is able to get this fight to the mat, I think Justin Taffa probably knocks him out. So Taffa, somebody else who I like paying up for. And then also Brendan Allen against Bruno Silva. If Brendan Allen looks to wrestle in this fight, sometimes he comes out with really stupid game plans. But if he looks to wrestle, I think he could tire Bruno Silva out. Bruno Silva usually gasses whenever his fights go more than like a round and a half to two rounds. We've seen some really rough performances out of Bruno Silva and some like weirdly good performances as well. Like, he was somewhat competitive on the field with Alex Pereira. And then his next fight, he goes against Gerald Mearshart. Not only does he get finished by Mearshart, Bruno Silva gassed in the third round and actually got outstruck by Mearshart in the early rounds of that fight, which was a really terrible look for him. He looked better in the matchup against Brad Tavares, but arguably a little bit of an early stoppage in that fight. That aside, if Brendan Allen looks to wrestle in this fight, I think that he wins this more often than not and probably puts up a pretty good DraftKings score. So there's some other fights that I think are worth mentioning. But let's go and talk about Rainmakers now. And once again, guys, if you guys haven't done it, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you're not able to listen to any of our strategy shows or not able to watch them live, check out our podcast channel. All of our stochastic shows go up on the podcast channel as well. I'd appreciate if you leave us a five-star review. Let's build out a Rainmakers lineup. I will look at... Let's go. I, I do have some cards where I could build out a legendary lineup. One thing that I am absolutely devastated about is that the Tetsuro Tyro versus Kletzen Rodriguez fight got canceled because I really like Tyro in that matchup, and I have a bunch of his Rainmakers cards. Yeah, I have three of his elites here. But anyway, let's go and look at Rainmakers. Starting with, I only have one legendary card, which is uh, Zhalgas Zhumagulov, and I didn't really talk about him before because I wanted to save my talking points for him when it came to Rainmakers. He's taking on he's taking on Joshua Van, who's taking this fight on also about a week's notice, Zhumagulov, has run into the worst luck ever in the UFC. His fights were all either getting canceled, his opponents are falling out. And when I watch Van and his regional tape, 
He's very aggressive. He looks like a competent striker, but anytime anybody shoots a takedown for him, he immediately ends up hitting the ground. So Juma Golov usually fights pretty good game plans. We also saw him with a lot of output in his last fight, landed well over 100 significant strikes. I think Juma Golov is fairly safe for a win against Van, and I also think he has some wrestling grappling upside. So I think that Juma Golov should score fairly well in a win. So I like him. And not that I have a choice here. He's my only legendary. But going to go with Taporia as well in the main event. And then let's see. Some of the other options here. I think Randy Brown has knockout equity against Wellington Termon. I'm pretty interested in Termon coming down in weight. I do wonder if his wrestling game plans will just play better coming down a weight class where he's just going to be more physically imposing. He also looks shockingly good on the scale. Like he looks pretty cut. He looked as good physically as I've ever seen. It's going to be his UFC debut in this weight class. But Randy Brown also, I think, is very live for a knockout. And Termon has terrible durability. So I'm going to throw Randy Brown in here. I'll go with Brandon Allen in, uh, as well. And one of my other elite options, I've got a Santos here. I've got a Neil Magny, Jamal Emmers, Emmers, who looked like he had a fairly tough weight cut. And then I've got a Chepe Mariscal card as well. I'll throw him in here just because I think that he's going to be a pretty, well, somewhat contrarian play, especially at the higher buy-in levels. I do think people are going to be gravitating towards peak. So let's submit this lineup. And... All right, so let's first look at a legendary lineup I have, and then I have a bunch of other Rainmakers cards that I'm going to be building some lineups with later on in the later on the day. Tonight, tomorrow morning, I'll be building out the rest of my lineup. So if you guys are interested in Rainmakers and you want to check out the PGA product, totally free starters pack that you can get by using the link below. Other than that, thank you guys very much for watching. If you didn't do it, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Good luck with all your lineups this week, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. See you back here next week. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.